Welcome back to the Leonard Lopate Show. I'm Jonathan Capehart in today for Leonard Lopate. President Trump told reporters yesterday morning that he supports legislation that would protect young undocumented immigrants or dreamers from deportation and would, would deliver a, quote, massive increase in border security. This follows the Attorney General Jeff Sessions' announcement last week that the president would be ending Obama-era Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, or DACA program, that protects undocumented immigrants who came to the country as minors. With the news about DACA constantly changing and the status of nearly 800,000 Dreamers in limbo, we thought it would be a good time to talk about DACA. Joining us for today's Please Explain is Hassan Shafikula, attorney in charge of the Immigration Law Unit at the Legal Aid Society, and Pamela Resendiz, an undocumented immigrant from Mexico City and a community organizer who advocates for workers and immigrants' rights in Colorado and is currently the deputy director for United for a New Economy. And I'm pleased to welcome them both to the show. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, we also want to let the audience know if you have any questions about DACA or the Dream or the Dream Act, or if you're undocumented or or if you're an undocumented immigrant with legal questions, give us a call at 212-433-9692. Again, give us a call at 212-433-9692. Hassan, let me start with you. What exactly for those who don't know? What exactly is the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program? So Deferred Action, or DACA, is a program that President Obama announced through Janet Napolitano, his Homeland Security Secretary, in June of 2012. And it's not a law. It's just a program that's designed to keep certain young people here. And those certain young people are those who would benefit from what's called the DREAM Act. The DREAM Act is a bill that's been proposed in Congress many times since 2001 till now. It's never passed. Sometimes it's passed the House, sometimes the Senate, but never both together. And the DREAM Act and DACA are designed to help young people who came to the U.S. before turning 16 years of age and have been here for a period of time and don't have certain criminal convictions and are trying to complete high school and go on to college. These are recognized as... um, you know, people, you know, young people who were brought here by their parents, typically, they're not, you know, people who were trying to break the law and are trying to really go on and realize the American dream. So President Obama, in 2012, said, let's do something to protect these young people until Congress passes the DREAM Act itself, which is one of the things that Congress is talking about again now. Mm-hmm. So DACA is a program that you can apply for. It's um, it's now $495 um, each time for every two years, and it gives you very limited benefits, but they're important benefits. You get um, f- protection from deportation for two years at a time, and you can get a work permit and a social security number for everybody. In certain states, you can get a driver's or non-driver's ID, and New York is one of those states. But, it's, but that's sort of all it is. It doesn't lead to a green card. It doesn't lead to citizenship. I get to stay here. I get to work and you know, hopefully continue going to school. I don't get to do federal financial aid. It doesn't allow me to do the FAFSA form. But even though it's limited in some ways, it's a game changer for so many young people who would otherwise be facing a vic- um, deportation. Right. One of the big things is that it, um, it allows them to, quote unquote, come out of the shadows, to no longer live in fear. One of the other things that... The, that people who apply for DACA, and correct me if I'm if I'm wrong, counselor, that um, people who apply, they have to give their names and addresses, uh, a lot of information 
to the government. So this yeah. isn't this is a, a, a program built around trust. It's built around trust. And the the deferred part of deferred action for childhood arrivals, what they're deferring is my deportation. They're saying, come out of the shadows, come register with the federal government, give us all your history, every address you've had since you first came into the country. And, you know, copy of your passport, everything become known to us and we will put off deporting you. Right. And President Obama made very clear this is a program that, you know, he could end at any time. Any president could end. It's just an act of what's called prosecutorial discretion. And now this administration is deciding to phase it out. Right. And let's talk about what this administration is doing. According to the U.S. Citizenship Services and Immigration website, um, the Department of Homeland Security will will provide a limited six-month window during which, quote, it will consider certain requests for DACA and applications for work authorization under specific parameters. What does this mean for, for DREAMers? So the announcement means all sorts of things. One thing is, even though it was clear that President Obama, in announcing it, could end it if he chose to, there's four lawsuits pending right now saying the way you, Trump administration, ended this is really problematic. One is it looks like it's and discrimination against Mexicans and Latinos generally because of the comments that President Trump made both on the campaign trail and now and certain Administrative Procedure Act um, violations and how they ended it. So even though it could have ended, the way they've ended it is seems problematic. Um, but I don't think that was actually the question that you asked me, but I just wanted to get that out. There. Well, the, no, that's that's good to get that out there. Um, are there any other essential uh, deadlines or dates that oh. people need to know about right. DACA right, right now? So before the announcement, the, it had been leaked that it would be about a six-month sunset period, and so the March 5th deadline wasn't particularly surprising. What was surprising is that they gave less than 30 days to put in a renewal application. Right, so October... October 5th. But even that was very, very narrow. If my DACA is expiring, so my two-year work permit has an expiration date, so if my expiration date is between September 5th of this year and March 5th of next year, so only for, for this group of people, I can renew my DACA if I do so by October 5th. And not just postmarked by, which is usually the standard that immigration uses, it has to be accepted by them, which we assume means been received and feed in and all that. That's so really the the window is extremely narrow. It's extremely narrow for those few people who actually are expiring in that period. What if I let my DACA lapse in you know by September 4th and I was saving up the money? It's very expensive. It's $495. Right. So far the the policy has always been I can renew up to one year after my work permit expires. So I've got like a year grace period. And some people may have been saving up their money, getting ready to put in their renewal. Now they're, it seems like they're out of luck. Certainly if my work permit is expiring on March 6th of next year or forward, I don't get to renew now. Um, This is uh, the Leonard Lopate Show on WNYC. I'm Jonathan Capehart sitting in for Leonard Lopate. Today's Please Explain is all about DACA. And if you have any questions about the program, you can call our um, even legal questions. You can give us a call at 212-433-9692. Pamela Rezendiz, I want to bring you into the, the conversation. You're an undocumented immigrant from Mexico. A couple of questions. How old were you when you came to, to the United States? And what was your initial reaction to the news last week that DACA would be phased out? Um, Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So um, I came to this country when I was nine. 
um, it was a very difficult decision, and it was a decision that my parents had to do um, in order to ensure that we would be able to have a good life. So in no way do I feel that my parents' intention um, in, um, was in any way to put me in the situation, right? I, I, we Something that the immigrant rights movement have really done is try to um, fight the fact that we need something more inclusive. We need to uh, do something that benefits everyone and not just specific pockets um, of the population. With that said, though, um, the push for DACA in 2012, I feel, was um, another thing that should be vocalized, that it was led in um, by undocumented people, by undocumented organizations that saw it as an opportunity because it was something that we needed uh, in the mean, meanwhile, right? Um, so the for me, the announcement last week was extremely heartbreaking because of the fact that it was something that the community had uh, fought for, that the community had pushed the Obama administration to put into place. Um, and it was a temporary solution for what is a broader issue um, that should include uh, a more, something more inclusive. And that also includes parents, not just students. You know, one of the things that happened, so it, as, as, the three of us know. Um, so the attorney general comes out and announces um, that DACA has been rescinded. And then it was either later that day or eight hours later, the president tweets out, basically, if Congress doesn't do anything about it, I'll revisit. And his comments since then have pretty much made it clear that whatever it was that the attorney general announced, that is counter to what the president believes and I bring all this up to one to ask specifically to you Pamela does that give you any kind of comfort that that the president wants to do something about DACA despite the Attorney General announcing something completely different um, to me what that basically raises is that this administration continues to use um, undocumented immigrants, specifically people within the DACA program as pawns and, and continuing to create, create that narrative where it would put folks in a position to, you know, throw parents and community under the bus and further militarize and terrorize uh, the border, right? So I feel that it's really contradictory, right, that, they're voc- that the president is vocalizing these concerns and yet he took away, uh, terminated something, right, that um, was within the constitutional perimeters uh, to, to be in place to begin with. And then to me, it also raises the flag that, you know, the, the people that are making this announcement sessions um, are people that are, you know, benefiting from the enforcement and advocating to take DACA away. Um, I mean, to me, it's not a, a surprise that the people that are continuing to sort of play this game of criminalizing communities and profiting from their incarceration are the same people that are making these statements. You know, Pamela, this is not um, like the the fear in all of this is not something that is abstract to you. Talk about what happened um, to you in March of 2010. Right. So I'm actually someone that has been in in a detention center. Um, I'm someone that, because of community organizing um, and the support that I had in my community, was able to, um, you know, obtain deferred action even before deferred action for childhood arrivals was in place. So it definitely pointed to the fact that that this program was in complete... um, legality of allowing that prosecutorial discretion to happen and to happen to a broad, uh, broad blank, 
uh, blanket of, of population, which is why undocumented youth as well as uh, immigrant and undocumented uh, folks pushed for the expansion of DACA DAPA, which we also saw that uh, be, you know, um, terminated in a sense of not even being implemented, but actually going to the to the final verdict of the Texas court where it wasn't even carried out. So I think it just continues to perpetuate the fact that people are are profiting from having folks detained for, from people being in detention centers. Mm-hmm. And they're the people that are making this even more difficult for people to live without fear. And, really, and quickly, how old were you when you were detained again? I was 21 years old. 21. And uh, you wanted to bring bring something up, Hassan, about right. prosecutorial so, yeah. discretion. So I agree with, um, exactly with what she said. So prosecutorial discretion is this notion that you know Congress passes the laws and it's up to the president and his or her administration to enforce the laws. In the immigration context, there's long been a recognition that the administrations don't have the resources to deport all the undocumented people who are here. So going all the way back to 1986 under President Reagan, when it was the old INS, there were memos about prosecutorial discretion in the immigration context. And every Every successive administration has exercised it in different ways. And so what President Obama did was in line with established policy and established practice. And what uh, Attorney General Sessions was saying, we, we disagree with. And this is one of the rare instances where I agree with Trump that he does have the authority to reinstate DACA if he chooses to, as have every previous president. Um, again, if you have any questions about about DACA and any of the things that um, the Trump administration has proposed because there's like conflicting um, uh, information coming out of the the Trump administration. Give us a call, 212-433-9692. Hassan, speaking of the Attorney General, when he announced the rescission of of the DACA program, he called it, quote-unquote, unconstitutional. Yeah. And also tried to lay that that, um, definition at the feet of President Obama. Is there any truth to that? None whatsoever. So our Constitution has separation of powers, and the uh, administration, the president, has broad discretion in how he or she enforces the laws. And this is one way that President Obama chose to enforce the laws, so it's entirely consistent with our constitutional framework. And a lot of the things we heard was that the the Trump administration was under pressure to make a decision about DACA, that they had no choice but to announce this. When was it? September it was last week. Yes, yeah, September 5th. But that was an arbitrary deadline, wasn't it, Hassan? Well, where the deadline came from was, so we need a little background about how how we got to that sort of boiling point. So President Obama announced DACA on June 15th of 2012. And then on November 20th of 2014, he announced an expansion of DACA, where the work permits would be valid for three years instead of two years. And the date by which you had to have arrived here was moved from June of 2007 to um, January of 2010. So so more people would benefit and they would get a greater benefit from him. So that's one thing he announced from the Rose Garden. And the second thing he did in that press conference was to announce a new program called DAPA, Deferred Action for Parents of Americans and Permanent Residents. That Those two programs together were too much for 26 states' attorneys general, who together filed suit in federal court um, at the beginning of 2015 to enjoin this program. And they filed suit in Texas, figuring they would get a conservative judge, and they certainly did, um, federal judge Andrew Hainan, who issued a nationwide injunction banning expanded DACA and DAPA. And so um, the DAPA never got off the ground. For the few DACA folks who managed to get the three-year work permits before the injunction, um, they got to keep theirs, but anyone after the injunction was handed down had to give back their three-year work permits, and then the expansion stopped. 
Interestingly, the states never included original DACA in that litigation. Flash forward to this summer, where 10 of those states decide to, let's go after original DACA. Not all of the 26 did because they realized DACA's working and there's no reason to go after them, but 10 of them decided to, and they gave Attorney General Sessions an ultimatum that by September 5th, if you don't end DACA, we're going to go back in front of Andrew Heenan and ask to amend our complaint to include original DACA and ask him to issue an injunction, which was almost 100% guaranteed that he would. So it was a chance for the administration to do something to beat them to the punch. I'm Jonathan Capehart. In today for Leonard Lopate, my guests are Hassan Shafikula, attorney in charge of the Immigration Law Unit at the Legal Aid Society, and Pamela Resendiz, deputy director of the organization United for a New Economy. This is WNYC and WNYC.org. We'll be right back after a break. Leonard Lopate Show on WNYC. I'm Jonathan Capehart in today for Leonard Lopate. And today it's Please Explain. And today's topic is all about DACA. If you have any questions about that program, you can call us at 212-433. Wait, I just lost the number. I should have it. Remember, 433-9692. And actually, let's take a call. Um, We have um, Luis who's calling in from New Jersey. Luis, thanks for calling in. What's your question? Uh, yes, uh, hi, I'm a DACA recipient, mm-hmm. and my question is, um, uh, I'm 33 years old, I'm, I'm with the New Deal, I was wondering if they can exclude some people out of DACA, you know, since I'm older, maybe they want to keep the, the younger ones, something like that? That's an, a, a, a good question, interesting question. Thank you, Hassan. Hassan, thank you, Louise. Hassan, <laughs> what do you have to say to Louise? So in terms of what a new program might be. There's different things that Congress is talking about right now. One is finally the DREAM Act itself, which has been introduced several times, and we can talk about what they're envisioning for for those requirements, which will go directly to to your question. But there's also the Bridge Act, which is a much more limited um, option that Congress could choose, which is just to sort of codify DACA. Could just give you the work permit for three years instead of two, but otherwise basically DACA just done by Congress. Mm-hmm. So hopefully they'll do they'll go big and do the Dream Act itself, which will allow you to get a conditional green card. And we can talk about those details. But one one um, requirement that they're proposing now, and a lot of this could change in committee. You know, depends how far it goes. Is you have to be between the ages of 12 and 35 on the day that the law is enacted. Right now, it's just been introduced. We don't know how far it'll go. So for you, since you're 33, you would fall within the age range that they're talking about at this point. Great. Thank you very, very much, Louise. Um, let's go to Millicent in Queens. She has a, a, a good question. Millicent, thank you. Oh, hi. Thank you for your show. I love it. Um, this um, question came up in my mind because... Two Sundays ago, I read about somebody from Guatemala who was here 27 years and had earlier in his time here used his brother's driving driver's license, and he was charged. I don't remember what the mm-hmm. outcome was, but he's a member of the Teamsters Union, and he went to check in as some of the people who had committed some crimes which they thought were not you know, dangerous or under President Obama. A lot of people are allowed to check in every year. Right. And he went to check in, and he was picked up under this administration. So he had worked for the Teamsters Union as a welder, I think, for 27 years. His wife had an accident. He's now paraplegic. He has a grown son here and a daughter with a child. And he 
Right. But the, you know, whatever people tried to do with him, I don't know if he got a good lawyer, but he was picked up and deported to Guatemala, where he has not lived for 27 years. Right. I'm saying if a man like that worked, I was able to get in a union and pay Social Security for 27 years. He's 61 years old. He's taking care of a paraplegic wife. And it's so brutal to be deported from mm -hmm. a sick wife and, and children here under this brutal regime that we live under now with Trump. So I'm wondering if he, when he gets to the age of Social Security, will he be able to, will he have any claim? Millicent, that, that, and that, that is actually a, a good question. Um, I don't think that DACA applies here, but it, it is an interesting question. Hassan, I don't even know if you have an answer to that question. Will this person who was deported, who's paid money into Social Security, be able, once he becomes Social Security eligible, to get that money? So if you're out of status, which it sounds like he is, whatever status he has, they had ended it. If he was still living here, he would not be able to collect, even though he had worked his 40 quarters, presumably, and had earned the right to collect. There's rules around collecting Social Security when you're abroad. I believe that it's for a period of time that you get it, but I'm, I don't have those rules at my fingertips. But I do just want to talk about one thing that this question highlights, which is under previous administrations, the government had decided who to go after in a really aggressive way and who they would sort of leave alone. Those were called enforcement priorities because they recognized they didn't have the resources to deport everybody. And so under President Obama, they sort of um, compiled a list of all the previous guidance and issued like one memo that said, here's our deal. If you have serious criminal convictions, we're going to go after you really aggressively. If you, the only thing you did wrong is overstay your visa or you came in unlawfully, but you've been working and you have spouse and kids who are citizens or whatever, we're going to leave you alone. What President Trump did at the beginning of this year is he said, we're changing the priorities. Every bit is a priority. Even somebody like this who's been working, paying taxes, has a very sick spouse. Um, they just don't care. There's no, um, any, there's no compassion anymore. There's no discretion. There's no discretion. Back, back, back to your early word. Hey, Pamela, um, there's a, what is an individual requester and what kind of work do you do in Colorado as an individual requester? Right. So um, something that we also wanted to uh, discuss is that um, under the National Organizations of Detention Watch Network um, and Mi Gente, we um, across the country filed over uh, 24 Freedom of Information um, Act requests um, to try to get more information and details about the raids that were planned um, in Operation Mega, which was intended to be the largest um, op um, operation to date, right? Um, and we really wanted to flag for folks and to acknowledge that, you know, we want to um, shed light on the way that this um, entity is acting without any kind of um, public pressure um, and accountability. So um, by being an individual requester, um, I, along with four other individuals in the Denver area and two uh, local organizations, um, AFSC and Padres y Jovenes, um, which is the American Friends Service um, organization, we filed um, for the Denver area and wanted to know more about what the collateral aspect was also specifically for that operation, what their intention, what their um, plan of rollout was. 
Um, and for me, it was very important to to be an individual um, requester of this um, information. I mean, I'm undocumented, but I know that they already have my information, so I I felt um, sort of empowered by this um, by this national coordination to file these requests um, to let them know that, you know, we aren't, that I'm not necessarily scared and that I, I'm, I'm going to fight back by shedding the information, by having this information and by knowing that there's community accountability, um, at least in finding out what their involvement was in this local field Denver area office. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you mentioned oper- Operation Megan, it, 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 correct me if I'm wrong, I, I do think you 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 explained what that is. That was a, a big uh, deportation effort um, by the administration. Did I hear you right? Yeah, um, and then it uh, had to. It, there was rumors that it, there was happening. There were people that were um, engaging and mobilizing to uh, fight back on this, but it um, got canceled due to the weather, right? That ah. to the um, hurricanes that were happening. Um, but that doesn't mean that. It's not going to be in effect in the future, um, and that ICE needs to have be able to share that information with uh, community folks as to what their intention was in each field office. Hey, Pamela, let me ask you. There is a big um, to do about the dinner that the president had with House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi and Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer of New York, where the the two of them announced that the president agreed to basically codify DACA, that we're going to do it without um, having any money for the wall. Did that, and the whole confusion behind all that, does that give you any confidence that actually Washington will follow through and actually do right by um, DACA recipients? For me personally, I base my um, hope in community organizing, and I know that regardless of whatever Washington and whatever conversations are being had behind closed doors, the only way that that pressure is going to become something tangible is with an, an organized community. And for folks that, you know, were beneficiaries of DACA that weren't involved, now is the time to get involved. Now it's to advocate and fight for something broader. I mean, when the president... Um, would tweet every now and then before this announcement that, you know, uh, documented folks had nothing to worry about, that we're great people, um, and now we find ourselves in this position. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, my hope comes from our people being organized and by doing these actions to have accountability um, for these um, institutions. Mm-hmm. You know, Hassan, we got a, a, a question from a listener, which actually, I'm glad you're here because I've wondered this myself. And, th- and that is, this listener said that a lot of their friends are volunteering in the military, but aren't citizens. How is that possible? So the armed forces get to choose what are the enrollment requirements. And so I could, you know, obviously citizens can enroll, green card holders can enroll. Beyond that, it's up to the military to set what their requirements are. And so there's, there have been various programs, and one is for people who either are healthcare professionals or people who have language abilities. If I speak Pashtun and, you know, from an Afghani region, that's an area that the military is really interested in having language ability. So there's a program called the Military Accessions and, um, Vital to the National Interest, or MAVNI. And so if I can get into the military through that, then, um, you know, that might be able to get me 
If I can get into the military and I enlist during the time of hostilities, which we've been in since 9-11-2001, I can actually become a citizen on that basis by the time I'm done with boot camp. So you can die for this country, but not be legal? Well, sort of. If I'm completely undocumented, they may not take me into the program. So it's usually for, for people who have um, like different types of non-immigrant visas, a visitor visa or a student visa or things like that. They could choose to allow me to enroll if I'm completely undocumented. It's in their discretion. Um, but generally, they, they want me to have at least a little bit of at least non-immigrant status. Um, let's take this call from Derek on the Upper East Side. Derek, thank you for calling in. What is your question? Upper West Side. I'm sorry, Upper West Side. Um, it's, our, it's a long week, Derek. Cost of the in- cost of total and the incremental, if possible, increased enforcement. Uh, the the increased deportation uh, attention. Uh, all these people, I think they're flying them down to their countries. We we shipped uh, two dozen judges from I think uh, this particular uh, federal district out to I think it was Texas mm-hmm. to do immigration hearings. Those guys or gals got to be put up at hotels. They got security. Blah blah blah. But how much is this costing? as an aggregate and, if possible, on a per-person basis for this increased enforcement to the taxpayer. So, thank you very much, <clears throat> excuse me, Derek from the Upper West Side for that question. There is, There are costs involved to, to doing all of this. There are a lot of costs, the administrative cost of running the immigration courts and all that. There's also the cost to the economy of losing people who are paying into the system. So if I'm here undocumented, typically I've got a taxpayer ID number if I don't have a social and I'm working and I'm paying taxes. I'm not entitled to benefits, so I'm paying into the system but not drawing any benefits. Like I don't qualify for food stamps. I don't qualify for welfare. And so if you're taking the breadwinner of a family out of the uh, of the country and out of their community, out of their family, who's paying the rent? Who's going to keep that family from slipping into poverty and going into the shelters and getting on welfare? So there's all sorts of costs involved in this. And, you know, there are the direct costs of hiring another 5,000 officers at the border and 10,000 more officers within the interior. And is that really where we should be putting our resources? Um, in the little bit of time that we have left, Hassan, let me ask you, what rights do undocumented immigrants have if they are detained? I have the right to remain silent, which is one of the most important rights um, that should be invoked consistently. I have the right to remain silent, and I won't speak to an attorney. I mean, I won't speak to anyone until I've had a chance to talk to an attorney. They don't have to give me my Miranda rights until after they've questioned me in the immigration context, which is ridiculous, um, unlike in the criminal context. Mm -hmm. So I shouldn't admit where I'm from or anything about me, just my name and... I want to speak to an attorney. If they come to my door, if they have a warrant, I should see if it's signed by a judge. If it's a judicial warrant, I have to open the door and honor it. Usually it's just an administrative warrant that's signed by an ICE officer. I don't have to open the door. I don't have to answer any questions. Can they contact groups like the Legal Aid Society for assistance? Yes. Um, They can contact us. Our website's um, legalaid.org, and they can find out our contact information on there. And are there any other organizations that folks can... Um, look to to help just in case, you know, legal aid is yeah. otherwise so, occupied. So Nationally United We Dream is a great um, organization for DACA folks, um, and they have all sorts of uh, resources on there. The ACLU has an immigration rights project. New York City has all sorts of um, providers here, um, Catholic Charities, um, Urban Justice Center, mm-hmm. a bunch. 
And, pa- and Pamela, let me end with you. What can people do who want to help the Dreamers and, and support DACA at this point? Um, for So I would have two, two answers to that, right? So to the folks that are directly impacted that have not been involved, now is the time to get involved. Now is the time to um, really become involved in your community and making sure that you are part of this uh, movement of uh, defense, right? So if you go to mijenta.net, that that would be the space that I would recommend for folks to become engaged um, to build this community. And for folks that are allies, I would say now is the time to really and continuously listen to the folks that are impacted to support um, the leadership in the way that they're going to be engaging Mm -hmm. in this fight um, and to donate fiscal resources to organizations like Mijenta, to the um, folks that are doing this kind of work to, to sustain the legal process support for folks. I've been speaking with Hassan Shafikula, attorney in charge of the Immigration Law Unit at the Legal Aid Society, and Pamela Resendiz, deputy director of the organization United for a New Economy. Thank you so much, both of you, for being on today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you so much.